Hi, welcome to the Big Commerce Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Big Commerce Podcast. I'm here with two of my colleagues from our partner, Commistry, Rob Thomas and Tom Franey. Welcome. Hey, nice hey everyone. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Trying to get back in for the new season of the podcast. So, a bit rusty, as you can tell. <laughs> cool. Right, so, um, as I said, welcome, Commistry, um, one of our um, PIM and OMS and multi-channel feed management partners. Uh, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, a bit of history and background, and then we'll get into it. Sure, thanks. Um, so, um, Commistry was founded around 15 years ago uh, as a PIM for the automotive sector, dealing with really complicated product uh, attribute and data relationships between stock um, founded out of Australia, um, we came to the UK a little over two and a half years ago um, and really got a good presence here now with about five or six different customers um, on a variety of different platforms. Um, I joined the business in uh, January of, no, December of last year, time flies, um, and I head up her growth and partnerships in the UK. Um, joined by my colleague Tom, who is in our uh, Brisbane office, but also the head office in Sydney. Uh, Tom, why don't you introduce yourself, mate? Hi, everyone. Um, so I joined uh, Commistry about six six months ago, but um, leading up to that, I was a customer and a partner um, combined for the last seven years at, at two different retailers and one of our one of our implementation partners. So um, I've been in and around the Commistry platform basically since, since Commistry was formed. Um, as Rob mentioned, we started off as a sort of data integration service um, in the automotive side of things, being able to publish out products to multiple channels and marketplaces such as eBay. We then sort of have identified a, a gap in the market, I guess, at that point, um, which was retailers wanted a, a single a single commerce platform where they would be able to centralise and synchronise their product inventory and pricing data, and then be able to publish that out to to multiple sales channels. I think one of the most exciting developments, and one of the things that really drew me in, right, was the the ability not just to service product inventory and marketplaces, i.e., product and where you're selling it, but the actual efficiencies and the you know the economic benefits of actually making an order work from end to end. So, when you know where the goods are sat and you know the way you're going to sell them and to the people you're going to sell them to, the ability to actually offer business efficiency in delivery, to actually maximise or optimise delivery timeframes by including order management to that sort of product stack. Uh, and that's really where we sit apart. Um, as of today, I'm not aware of anyone else doing that in one you know, contingent platform. Um, so it's a massive benefit for retailers to be able to sort of bring all of that investment and ultimately all of that time spent using the platform into one place, to one endpoint. Absolutely. Um, just want to thank you for flying in from Brisbane to record the podcast as well. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> um, but I mean, I remember kind of when we were working with BigCommerce five, ten years ago, kind of... PIM was reserved really for kind of those enterprise, the, the, the big um, or even kind of centralized systems that kind of pulled in the e-commerce were, were for the big brands that kind of had the budget really. I mean, big commerce used to be used as kind of the PIM because then you would feed out to things like Amazon and eBay and so on. And whilst you can still do that, I guess, you know, that kind of barrier to entry of these systems has, has been reduced. And I think it's become more important as well, especially now that e-commerce is no longer kind of the secondary. We kind of had that. We had merchants that were brick and mortar and we also have a website. And now I think if you're a, if you're a savvy or even kind of a, just you know anybody that wants to grow their business, you know that e-commerce sits kind of on a par at least with kind of your offline business anyway. Absolutely. Um, and so kind of these tools are, are super important. We're seeing a lot more merchants that you know 
Well, even they need education, I guess, to kind of understand what PIM is and how it will help them. So, um, okay. It's a really important point you raise, actually, right, which is the the bricks and mortar stores and the e-commerce, you know, how that gap is bridged. Mm. And one of the biggest things that I think I enjoy speaking to much is about primarily is that we can help solve, you know, like those checkerboard of problems. We're ticking off more than we're yeah. not. And I think the interesting thing with the UK is obviously where we have maybe more pure play in our customer base, but they're sort of looking to move back towards bricks and mortar. Whereas in Australia, I know Frank Meshi, our co-founder, always says he walks through a Westfield. It's a case of who we're not working with rather than who we are. So it's a really interesting way to look at the UK market, which is actually by adopting Commistry as a platform that covers that order management, the ship from store element of the purchase mm. process and, and the stock being available to sell in those locations, we're actually helping people go back to brick and mortar where they may have been purely, you know, primarily a pure play brand. We're offering them that flexibility and we're actually bridging the gap between e-commerce, um, on-stock sale and obviously their back-end systems as well. And we kind of sit between all of those systems to, to act as a, a kind of conduit between them all to help the customer find out where that good is or where the product is and how they can purchase it most efficiently. Okay. So let's kind of start, I guess, from, from the top. So what is commistry? Kind of, uh, if, you, if you're talking to a merchant and saying you're uh, introducing yourselves, kind of tell us a bit about commistry. I mean, the elevator pitch, right, is that you have, you know, a vast array of complexity in your tech stack and, and ultimately products is one of those places that things can get very complicated. Mm-hmm. So commistry is a way to manage your product and your inventory. It's a way of taking that inventory to the places that you're selling it, be that marketplaces, your website, your actual physical stores. Um, and we help augment and orchestrate order management from products into your business all the way to products out. Commistry is the one source of truth for your product, inventory and order data within your business and a real time one as well. Um, we integrate with your e-commerce platforms, your ERP systems, uh, your point of sale systems, and ultimately, you know, every single customer touch point, we're fueling with up-to-date stock and inventory management information. So essentially, wherever data is touched within your e-commerce stack, Commistry is there providing that information in real time. I mean, Tom, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And I'd, I'd probably just call out sort of what our point of difference in the market compared to a a, a standard PIM or all the other PIMs, you know, around around the place, and that is that you know we do incorporate the the functionality of inventory inside our PIM, right? So when we're talking talking to retailers, everyone knows that inventory is cash, stock is cash inside your business, um, and when you're talking to the finance department or, or or the CEO or the you know the MDs of those retailers, it's all about you know how can we actually move that cash. Um, you know, we, we need to we need to liquidate that asset, right? We, especially if you're talking in a in a fashion industry. Um, you know, you've got generally got a 12 week cycle, right? You might have you know six weeks of of full price sales, and then you're going on a mid season sale, then another week of full price sales, and then we're going into sort of end of season clearance because the new season's coming in. So by able to bring that inventory into the PIM, we can actually identify and surface no matter where that product is located inside the business, whether it is in a DC, whether it's in a store, um, cross-border, cross-country, it doesn't really matter. We can surface that to those sales channels and make sure that that product is available for sale and has the best opportunity to sell on whatever sales channel that, that you know the retailer wants to sell it on. So that's probably where we come in from a, a point of difference and really working on that you know profit, profitability and the efficiency um, from, a, from a moving stock point of view and, and combining that with with the sort of standard functions of a PIM. Okay, so we're not really looking at just predominantly like a database that houses product information management, but you're also kind of giving intelligence and and kind of data to back up kind of your sales and, and your financials as well that can make life easier for other teams within the business, Absolutely. not just the category managers. Absolutely, and I guess the, the sort of term... Um, 
you know, that we've, we've given ourselves is sort of a unified commerce ecosystem. And the way that I sort of explain that to a lot of retailers that I'm talking to is that we have the ability to take product pricing and inventory. We can centralize that, unify that, and then make an intelligent decision based on those three factors of where, when, and how, and at what price we actually want to sell that product. Um, and then obviously we take care of the orders on the way back through as well to be able to fulfill them the most profitable way necessary. Okay. So let's kind of dive in and talk about one of the kind of aspects of, of commerce. Let's talk about PIM, um, product information management and the importance of good product data. Absolutely. And I think one of the biggest talking points around product or product inventory and product information and the health of that is one around completeness. You know, that you can't have good product data if it's incomplete or missing. Yeah. And depending on where you pull that data from, it could be third parties, it could be a manufacturing hub if you're building your own products in-house. You know, you need to make sure that that information is good. Now, good data in equals better data out. And, and Comstry has many different structures and processes that allows you to optimize that very, very quickly and efficiently without the need for upfront cost, without the need for custom data work. So if you're replatforming, for instance, putting information into Comstry using our rules engine, using our automation engine, it allows you to hybridize and to optimize that data to make sure it's complete to make sure it's ready to sell imagine you're a customer reading a product entry that's the level at which we want to get that data mm -hmm. to um, so once we've got the data health you know sorted and and it's ready to go there are other benefits as well you know if you're integrating third-party technologies and they rely on your product data being holistic it's accurate it's up to date you know if you're building algorithms and suggestions or recommendations off the back of product data and it's incomplete or obsolete you're going to be making bad decisions and bad recommendations to your customers so it filters all the way through not just from your, your back-end systems which is primarily where this problem occurs but all the way through to where your customers are engaging with your with your brand your business or with your you know with your products so yeah for, for me product completeness is, is the pillar and the foundation of all good data management and from them you can build a really strong master data management sort of you know strategy i guess um, which means that you're optimizing every single engagement optimizing every single product and getting it ready to sell and that's where the channel provision comes in as well the ability to push that product into where your customers are and doing so in a reliable and a, a you know a consistent way and that's a good brand experience ultimately. Do you find kind of any trends around kind of different types of customers? So the example I'm kind of thinking is we work with a lot of B2B merchants mm -hmm. and some that are, they, they turn over quite a bit, but when we're kind of looking at integrating with their systems, kind of asking if they've got a PIM, no, we don't, we have everything for an ERP. Fine, you know, map in the fields and it's like, can we have a description field? Just use the title. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, Put yourself in the customer's like, perspective. Like, fine, B2B buyers tend to buy a lot of the same things so they'll get to know the product. Yeah. But at the same time, how are you going to better merchandise new products if there's nothing to, to sell? Like, there's no, you can't, you're not promoting any benefits, you're not yeah. promoting any points of difference. Yeah, well, that's tied to the fashion space, right? Which is where we play incredibly well. You know, we've got some fantastic brands using, you know, anything from sort of high street fashion all the way down to sort of hot fashion with, you know, specifically custom built boots and mm -hmm. things of that nature as well. If, if, um, if you just use the title, you know, that isn't selling the product. That isn't helping your merchandising team or your content team generate great stuff to sell product with. So the way that you can use Commerce Street to solve that problem is that we can actually in, in develop rules and, and outputs, which means that if people are writing great content, that's going on to the right type of, to type of product. If people are writing and brilliant, you know, great UCG and videos, ultimately that can be tied to the right product, search terms, SEO, and optimizing that, the findability or the location of products in line as well. 
we can build a load of rules and logic that basically means that that's all, all, all <clears throat> updated and augmented in real time. Um, and one of the main benefits to that is that you're reducing the need for internal teams to do manual work and process. And, and the, the, you know, the, the twofold benefit of that is that you're not just getting better conversion, you're getting better positioning of your product, but you're actually reducing any um, ambiguity. You know, if you've got five to 10 different fashion products that are all in the same year, they're all very, very similar, how do you differentiate? The key is by good data, deep and meaningful attributes and relationships between those attributes and being able to differentiate between them when you're a customer or a third party tool or an e-com site or a platform or a marketplace and being able to choose the right product for you based on the depth and the importance of that data. And I just wanted to jump back in and, and make a comment about um, what you were saying about, you know, B2B customers and, and or B2B retailers, I guess. Um, and I think, you know, there's been a big shift in the B2B market over the last two to three years or mm-hmm. in, the, in the commerce market in general, right? Um, and I think gone are the days that, you know, a B2B buyer expects to, you know, upload a spreadsheet or upload a line sheet or, you know, reorder, just press the reorder button and all your orders come through. I think with this big shift that we've seen, um, you know, over the past, you know, three, three years in, in, in COVID and the, I guess the, the improvements that have been made to the digital commerce industry as a whole, um, I think that B2B buyer is now expecting a more B2C like experience, Absolutely, right? Yeah. Um, so I think I think that's that's something to note as well, right? So you know, PIM plays a massive role in B two B because not only you know, gone are the days where you just jump onto you know a B two B website and you've got you know a blank product with no put in your skew, yeah, put in your skew and press order um, and get sent an invoice a month later. I think you know they actually want to you know go through that purchasing um, life cycle and, and go through that buyer journey and you know look and feel and touch the product or not touch the product, but you know yeah. immerse themselves in that experience. And I guess the other thing to kind of really understand from a, a merchant's perspective is if you don't give your customers the ability to kind of find new products because the data is just not there, mm-hmm. then how are you going to kind of change their buying habits? Like how can you get them to move on to maybe the more expensive product or the one that gives you more profit or anything if all you're giving them is a title and a, and a skew? And you no can't learn stuff. from what's not there, right? And you can only learn by iteration. And if you're not iterating with enough depth of product information, you can't identify where you're going wrong. And that, yeah. that's one of the things that we, you know, we love to work with our partners on, especially in the search and merch space, is we can actually add efficiencies there where search returns are, in, uh, are injected into PIM so that the retailer is not just caching that information in real time and learning from their own you know, experiments and A-B tests, but we're also that source of truth, not just for product inventory and, and attributes of data, but actually for learnings from how those customers are interacting with those products as well. So there's, um, you know, we could go on for a long time about this, right? There's probably a, another session for another day, but there's a huge amount of depth that Commerce can store and, and ingest for, for retailers and brands. Uh, and that can obviously have a, a massive benefit for the, uh, for, the, for the customer as well. Absolutely. And I think, I think where, you know, a PIM starts to get really, really, really powerful just on what Rob was saying there, um, with, you know, how we're starting to work with, with our search and merch partners in particular is that bringing in those, you know, associated search terms, um, from, you know, various search and merch tools, we can then use that data to enrich things like your marketplace search. Um, and, you know, start to add tags and, and terms in there to be able to increase sales on those channels as well. So it's really, you know, it is creating that unified commerce hub, bringing data from or you know data and insights from one channel, and then using that to influence sales on a, on an auxiliary channel. Cool. So I mean, we've spoken actually a bit about um, kind of omni-channel and multi-channel. So let's maybe talk about that aspect of of commerce. Um, so what are you seeing in the market, kind of in terms of omni-channel or multi-channel kind of product, and or even just feed management in general? 
Sure. I mean, shall I answer from the UK and then yep. bring in the rest of the world? I mean, yeah, so one of the things that we're finding at the moment is that people have got their e-com platform. Um, they may be moving to one or they're moving away from another, but you know that's the foundation of their business. They've got their in-store and they're obviously looking at different channels. Uh, one thing that we're finding with customers that are reaching a certain level of maturity is that they use Comestry to bind all of those things together and ensure that the endpoints that we're serving with product inventory, uh, inventory information is up to date and relevant. But what we can also do is by pointing um, a product API feed towards a new region or a new marketplace, we're allowing them to experiment in those regions. So one of the most exciting things for me is when a retailer goes, look, I love what we're doing, but I really want to investigate this market or this marketplace, you know, what we call a channel, essentially. It's, it's a route to sale. Um, so what we can do is quite quickly spin up a website or, a, or an e-commerce platform, inject a commercial product into it and launch it in that region and start to experiment and you know, optimize the, the data feeds for those regions. And that gives those businesses a massive amount of depth of information and understanding as to whether those are going to be viable places to build. So basically, we, we can do this in a, in a headless or a conventional monolithic way. It depends on the customer's requirement. But the most exciting thing is when a customer really goes, right, I need to test this new market. I need to test this new marketplace. How can Commerce allow me to do that? And within a couple of weeks, you know, we could be ready within two to three weeks to get something live and spun up, maybe quicker, depending mm -hmm. on the, the depth of the catalog and the depth of the language or the locale that they're investing in. But it, it allows them to be really mobile and agile, which, um, you know, very few other, you know, sort of, technical products in the market can be done in. You know, it's very difficult to spin up a, a new website or campaign, whereas we're able to facilitate that. And I think that's a really exciting place for us to be, um, getting those learnings and those knowledge points back to retailers quickly and easily with a minimum risk or upfront cost, especially in a very, you know, chancy market at the moment where things are difficult and money isn't easily found. Absolutely. And I think, you know, Rob, Rob touched on before how important it is to have quality product data on your e-com site. Um, and that goes the same for, you know, launching into a new marketplace or launching into a region, right? We, you, you, you want to be able to have unique and localized product data and product content for that particular channel or for that particular region. You don't want to have, um, you know, the same descriptions across all of your marketplaces and all of your websites because, you know, that has, um, SEO impacts. It, it, you know, it has, it has a bunch of impacts and, and plus if you've got a multi-channel browser, um, it's, it's also just not, not a great look. So I think, you know, by able, by using a PIM and then, Coupling that with with the channel management and that and that publishing tool, you're able to you know spin up individual descriptions for each of your channels, individual descriptions for each of your locales, um, and even go into you know multi language and multi currency as well for when we start to you know branch out cross border. So I think that's that's very very important. That's often overlooked when we kind of get international commerce inquiries. They'll often use, I mean, it's all about investment. So yeah. kind of I, the, the number of times I kind of hear of use of an app that translates the website and it's kind of like, you know, no, not many people like it, yeah. but mm -hmm. it's easy. And my argument is you're not investing enough because actually the URLs won't be optimized. The mm -hmm. metadata, won't, you know, the, the tags, the title tags and so on. You have to, if you want to grow in a particular market, you've got to invest in that. Um, and also if you kind of think also from uh, the example of social media, so the kind of tone of voice that you might have on LinkedIn is going to be far different than it is maybe on Facebook or Instagram. And it's the same with marketplaces. So if you, you know, on your website, you can obviously manage a tone of voice, but on something like eBay or Amazon, the buyer potentially is going to have some different approaches and a tone of voice or the way that you write a description is going to be different as well. And then, yeah, obviously different languages for French, German, Italian, Spanish, whatever region it's for. Absolutely. And it's something that we've actually seen a lot with a lot of our customers that are sort of exploring and, and branching out into different regions, especially on, on marketplaces. And I'm going to... Um, 
you know, focus in here on, on, on the fashion footwear and apparel industry. But what we're seeing is that the customer that is buying a retailer's products on a marketplace is a completely different customer profile to that that shops on their e-commerce site. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not, and, and, you know, a common myth with a lot of retailers that we, we hear is, oh, I don't want to launch onto marketplaces because, you know, I'll be, um, you know, just sacrificing extra margin and cannibalizing my own sales on my own e-com site. Well, no, not, not necessarily because what we find is a marketplace shopper is, is quite a different shopper to, to, you know, a, a D2C or, or a direct customer shopper. And the benefit of that is it actually, you know, it enables you to be able to go after a different customer market, a different price mm-hmm. point even. Um, and we're even seeing retailers and some of our customers, in fact, going as far to actually designing and manufacturing marketplace-specific ranges. Or if they're not um, in the manufacturing side of things, they'll actually be buying specifically for their marketplaces. And that may be a completely different range or, or range book compared to what they're selling on their own website because it is a different customer. They generally could shop at a different price point um, and they're, you know, they're looking for something different. And you've also got to keep in mind that that customer on a marketplace is looking at you know, potentially 5,000 different results from you know, 500 different retailers. So you know, there is a lot more competition um, and you have to be on your forefront of your game to be able to be competitive in that, in that market. You mentioned a different type of customer, and that's a really, really important point. You have to be sympathetic to understand what that customer is looking for. And, and one of the things that we do is we optimize different feeds for different marketplaces in different ways. It's not a one-suit-all situation. The uh, the images, the the content, the UCG content that we integrate to a product entry, the wording, the descriptions may be worded differently, and, and we can optimize them by marketplace. It's not as simple as taking. But that's one obviously product. down to the merchant's responsibility for and their requirements. Of course, yeah, it's not an automated process. But by learning what those customers need and the reactions to those product data, you're able to then optimize the feed. So obviously, we optimize in terms of the the feed type so that it's received by the marketplace but then the customer themselves can optimize and test from there and the ability for us to capture UCG to capture those those different types of descriptions locales um, even so much as as Tom said the different categories and products that we're offering in those areas um, it just leads to efficiency it leads yeah. to better conversion and it leads to optimization of that particular customer cohort making sure that they're looked after best by the brand or the retailer in question I think that's a really important point and, and to kind of touch on, on what Tom said I think when I speak to some merchants they either say something like Amazon for example is really expensive and it's like yeah but you've got zero marketing costs I mean fine you can do the paid search but actually Amazon is, is invested in that marketing mm-hmm. and they're bringing you their customers secondly the person that's bought off Amazon, your product off Amazon is not your customer Mm-hmm. It is Amazon's customer. And so I, I speak to merchants that are so over leveraged on Amazon, but at the same time, they see that as an extension of the website. And as you're saying, no, it's it's not the same. It's a completely different kind of channel. And I think it's, it's educating the merchants to kind of understand that and acknowledge that rather than saying, well, I have a website slash Amazon store. They are yeah. two separate things. There's two really cool things which I'm going to grab on. Sorry, I know it's off, off the beaten track, but really liked how you were talking about cannibalizing your, Tom, you mentioned cannibalizing yep. online sales. And the Luigi, you mentioned about the cost of operating in a marketplace. One of the things we do, for instance, I'm going to use the Google Shopping example just because I'm most familiar with it. Um, we can add thresholds on the available to sell stock. So that when you're pitching or, you know, you're paying for positioning of products in a Google marketplace, for instance, um, other marketplaces are available. Um, you're not actually going to be selling products that are costing you per click or 
costing you per transaction, we can hold products back to make sure there's enough to sell on the website, there's enough to sell on that particular marketplace. What you're therefore doing is you're limiting your exposure to risk or cost that was you know, unnecessary or you know, inappropriate. You can really just reduce that down, um, meaning that you're optimizing your return in those areas. You're, if you're making 100 sales, but you've only got 90 products, that's obviously a huge problem because you're, you're not just losing the sale because you can't fulfill it, but you're also paying for that sale. So there are things that we do with thresholds and available to sell inventory, marketplace by marketplace, site by site, that basically means that you're optimizing and, and providing efficiencies there and ultimately not disappointing your customers because mm-hmm. they're, they're the people that we need to keep happy. Um, so we, there are lots of things we can do to make sure that process is seamless. Okay, well, let's kind of touch on the kind of, I guess, order side of things then. Um, kind of how does this, how does the kind of OMS side of, of commistry help or how how is it vital for a merchant to run a successful e-commerce business? Yeah, so I think when you think about OMS or, or order orchestration or you know distributed order management, I mean we can we can go around the table here and probably name five or six different words <laughs> that we could call it. Um, although I really like to bring it down to to efficiencies and and you know cost savings for for the business. So for those of you who are listening that don't know, um, you know basically what a, a distributed order management system does is it brings in your orders from you know various sales channels. We then use a base uh, a, a rule set of complex rules, which basically say you know where this product can be fulfilled from, um, and that can be based on you know the cost of fulfillment, the quickest time to the customer, uh, where we can fulfill the most items from or the complete package from. Um, we can set limits around you know how many times that order can be split or how many times that order can't be split. So it, it really, I guess does exactly what it says, orchestrates that order out to your fulfillment network. Now, that fulfillment network could be stores from a click and collect in a, in a ship from store or home delivery point of view. It could be um, 3PLs or, or dropship supplies. It could also be, you know, internal DCs and, and warehouses as well. So, you know, using that complex set of rules, we basically identify what the best way based on, you know, the preset business rules is to be able to fulfill that particular order. Now, what we also do from that point of view is, you know, we've talked about and you've probably heard us say, you know, we manage that available to sell inventory levels. So when we combine a complex set of fulfillment rules and an available to sell inventory number, what we can then do is well, we've created this sort of front end delivery API set basically. And what that enables us to do is basically we can start updating that customer promise and creating that customer trust all the way from the product page, which means I add product A to my cart, that's all good. It's now showing me. It knows that I like to, you know, check out from the Liverpool or click and collect from the Liverpool store. It's got that preset in there. So it's saying, you know, this is available for click and collect in three hours at at your local store. Um, I then am browsing around and I go to product B. All of a sudden I add product B to my cart and that that delivery promise is now updated. That's not actually at the Liverpool store. It's in the Manchester store. But what we've done is because we can facilitate and automate that store transfer between those two locations, we've updated that delivery promise. So instead of that click and collect being now available in, you know, two to three hours, it's now available in three to four days because we know we've got to ship it from one location to the other, contact the customer, and then they'll come in and and pick that item up. So we can start to craft that delivery promise and really, you know, 
be open and, and trustworthy with our customer because there's nothing worse than you know someone someone processing an order online, not hearing anything from the retailer, and then two weeks later they end up calling and they're like, you know, where, where's my order? So we're sort of trying to circumvent you know that that and make it you know a bit easier for for internal customer service teams as well um, to manage those customer conversations. So that's sort of where I see a, a distributed order management system comes in, um, and then obviously the the key cost savings that come from um, the key cost savings that come from being able to identify where the cheapest place to fulfil that item is from and also the quickest place to fulfil that item from as well. I think Rob's just dying. We'll carry on anyway. <laughs> so kind of e-commerce has become so more competitive these days that actually, and I think people have become a lot more um, patient in terms of finding if a product's not available today, I think they're happy to to wait, I think, as long as there is that kind of communication flow. So really, like you say, if, if potentially... You're, you are multi-site and you're going to have these issues around stock, then it's really important that there is that kind of line of communication between your customer or you're at least helping them to make sure that, you know, that the product is where they expect it to be, when they expect it to be. And if it means there's a two or three day delay, then at least they know about that. Um, so from that perspective, I think, you know, it's, it's certainly helping in, in these times. Absolutely. And I think, you know, being able to use or, or leverage our, our delivery API set to be able to start crafting that customer promise from, you know, stage one, from, from the very start of the buying journey on the product page. And then also, um, you know, it, it, it's also key along that fulfillment process, whether that, you know, that order's been assigned to that store, that order's been picked, it's awaiting collection, you know, keeping the customer up to date all the way along that fulfillment process, even to, you know, they come in and pick the order up and then you go into your post-purchase post flows as well, which some of our partners do, but, um, you know, that that that's, it, it's critical. I think customer communication is, you know, one, one of the biggest, biggest downfalls in a, in a lot of retailers and, um you know, it, it, it's got to be a massive focus moving forward. And there's customer choice as well to consider, right, in terms of the delivery outcome. So the ability for, for basically using um, using Commerce's order management system, the ability to to choose the outcome as a customer. You know, if I think it's the best for me to pop down the road and pick up the product so I can take it home, um, you know, if it's small enough to, to take I home from work. Exactly. Um, alternatively, deliver it to my work address, deliver it to home, look at the internal, you know, requirements for a bike, for instance, if I'm, econo- you know, ecologically focused as well you know those kind of outcomes are really really important and some consumers really look for that mm-hmm. you know yeah. it's there is a mature journey now people want to have those decisions i think there was kind of a study that said that most people are happy to wait for longer delivery and pay for delivery as if it's more sustainable mm-hmm. than kind of you know the next day or same day deliveries absolutely and and you know we've all we've all experienced and seen the shift not not only from a professional point of view um you know from working on on this side of the industry but also from a you know a consumer's point of view from being a you know a, a shopper myself um the the focus that that retailers have had these days on on last mile delivery and the ability to give their customer the complete choice of how they want things delivered i mean i was only ordering something um the other day and obviously i'm in the uk at the moment but i'm ordering it so and i was able to select the delivery day for when i get home except i purchased it yesterday because i was worried that it was going to run out of stock um but i'm able to select you know this gets delivered you know end of next week when i get back um you know having that flexibility is is just completely different right it's not going to be sitting outside my house for the next week yeah and that's such an important point you made around kind of giving customers choice because i think that's key yep you have to give your, your customers to kind of feel like they're in control and yep. they can, you know, it's, they can choose to where, like you say, how to get it delivered or where to get it delivered and, and obviously when. 
Um, so kind of we've spoken a lot. I think kind of the, the theme that's coming out here is that it's really about um, not just the automation, but also the efficiencies and also, I guess, the, the choice of the customer, like you said. So um, so what would you say to a merchant that kind of sees Commistry or APM <coughs> or uh, OWS, uh, OMS, sorry, as a cost rather than investment? Because I think we made the case here for saying, you know, fine, it costs something, but the benefit will outweigh. And, and we're actually... Not even necessarily, but just the potential for growth, even because you've got this foundation that's built on this, this you know efficiency and, and, and infrastructure. Yeah, efficiency is the key, right? Um, <clears throat> so, what would you say to kind of someone that says, "Well, it's, it's a cost. It's it's going to cost me X." Kind of. I think there's two ways to look at this. The one is the optimization and the improvement of your internal efficiency. You know, how long do your merchandising team take doing certain tasks that are optimizing the product for sale? How long does it take you to? Bring a new, new new price book. A retailer I spoke to, you know, when they get their new stock fruit from um, a large electronics retailer, every year their annual inventory arrives. They send spend two to three weeks going through that, you know, manually updating, manually adding fields from previous sales, um, old old stock to new stock. Are there similarities? Are there things that they can port over from previous you know items of inventory? It takes a huge amount of time. So assess those time costs. Assess those people costs. Um, and then look at the potentials of not investing. You know, where could you go if you were to invest in a tool like a PIM, an OMS, or a marketplace channel channel provision? Where could you take that next? And what are those potential returns on investment? If you could launch five marketplaces tomorrow, what's your potential upside? All of these factors need to be considered. And sometimes with a customer, we'll go into that granular detail. We'll look at a case-by-case study. You know, if we're launching into an Amazon channel, what could we do? What have we done in the past? You know, if you're in the footwear, fashion, retail, and apparel space, we've got customers that have done this. We've got figures we can share on those on those metrics, and we can do a, a business case on those bases. So when we get into the weeds of actually how it all comes together, typically it's less about cost and investment, and it's more about risk. You know, what are you risking by not taking this step, by not optimizing and, and modernizing your tech stack? You know, and what, what's impossible today that we can make possible tomorrow? So once we get to that level, typically it becomes quite a straightforward value conversation. Um, and ultimately, that's what we're there to do. We're there to show customers that value. Mm-hmm. I guess the opportunity cost as well yeah. is really important to understand. Absolutely. And and having, you know, being a, being a retailer previously, um, I'd like to dive in a little bit further into, you know, those internal efficiency, um, you know, savings, right? So um, all the retailers out there that are listening, obviously, you're all aware, you know, when the new season comes in or, or the new product launch comes in, what are the what are the big things that take some time, right? So so one of them is, you know, assigning your products into categories. Now, obviously, if you've just got a website, you've got one category set to assign. But then you add your Google shopping, you add your Facebook marketplace, you add, you know, two or three other other commerce marketplaces out there. Um, all of a sudden you've got four, five, or six category sets that are all different um taxonomies that you need to assign those products into. So, you know. By leveraging the commissary platform, what we can do is we can actually automate that and we've got a number of customers now that are, you know, using existing category sets that are already in their ERP based on, uh, combined with and, and, and based with the um, attributes that have been enriched in that product in the PIM to be able to run a, run a set of complex rules over the top and basically automatically zero touch assign all of your product categories across all of your different sales channels. So, you know, that, that, that's one thing. And having, you know, run content teams in the past, I know how long my team used to sit there and just say, you know, we're just categorizing products, ticking and flicking the whole way down the list. Um, so that's one thing. The second one is, 
you know, things like assigning images to products, right? Having to go into a product in either, um, you know, either the back end of the website or, or in the ERP and individually upload images. And then once again, multiply that by four or five sales channels. You're uploading four or five different sets of images into every single channel because every channel's got different image requirements. Some need a white background, some need a gray background, some need to be transparent and different sizes, right? So we can actually automatically assign those images from a, you know, a, a solid state storage space, something like a, you know, an S3 bucket or, or a Microsoft blob, um, and automatically assign those based on a naming condition to those products. So when you think about, you know, uploading a new season, you drop your images in a in a in a storage location, you um, enrich your products, and all of a sudden you run the product rules over the top and you've got your categories assigned, you've got your images assigned. And then probably the third one um, that used to take me personally the, the most time was okay, we're preparing for end of season sale, we're preparing for mid-season sale, whatever it may be. Um, you know, the days of you know, having to run down formulas in an Excel spreadsheet line by line and mark down all these products. And, you know, if you're off by one line, all of a sudden you're selling a $100 product for $10 and, you know, all, all those sorts of things that get left down to human error. So obviously inside Commistry, we have quite a complex pricing engine in which enables you to sort of mark down or, or set a sale price for a subset of products um, with, you know, three or four clicks, basically. Um, so, and, and also we can then build redundancies into the channel to say, because we have an understanding of pricing, because we can have cost price and retail price and sale price inside the platform, we can say, if this product is, is getting published to a channel and it is within X percent of your cost price or it is, is below cost price, we actually want to hold that one back from publishing because it could be a, you know, chances are it's a, um, it's a, it's a mistake in the, in the formula or a mistake in the, in the problem. So creating those efficiencies and, and redundancies in around pricing models as well. Um, they're probably the three, three big internal efficiencies that, that I've seen personally as a, as a user of Commistry. Cool. So kind of pricing wise, where, where do you sit? Do you have like figures around the ROI that maybe a customer sees? on, on the Commistry platform? Is there kind of a, a period that, at which time it then starts to really take off? Yeah, so generally, um, we, you know, we're, we're quite competitive in the market. We do sit from that sort of mid-level to, to low, low enterprise, um, level, level of client. Um, what we do see is, you know, I can, we can say that, you know, we've, we've got, success stories and success cases of where, you know, we've had, had retailers and customers go from being able to take, um, you know, three to four weeks to even six weeks to get a product range online down to, you know, one or two weeks to get that product range published, right? So all of a sudden you've got a, you know, you've got an instant ROI benefit. All of a sudden those products aren't sitting in a location, not being sold, um, stale nonetheless. Um, all of a sudden, you know, the quicker we can get that product to market to our sales channels, the quicker that we can start realizing that investment on that stock. Um, so, yeah, I hope that answers okay. the question. Yeah. So if listeners are interested in learning more about Commistry, arranging a demo, seeing how it can help them, um, what should they do? Absolutely. So reach out to us at www.commistry.com. Uh, you can read case studies. We've just published a new one with Lorna Jane, which is a great read and really, really exciting in a way of, of applying our solution to its greatest extent. Um, click on the Get a Demo link uh, and you'll be connected to Tom, myself or, or Ben the, in Australia. And um, you can also connect with us on LinkedIn uh, and just ping us on there if you'd like to learn more on a specific basis as well. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for having us. I hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you. <laughs> and, uh, we'll catch up soon. Thanks. Sounds good. Take care. Bye-bye.